Hello, hello, 6 a.m. run family, 6 a.m. run friends, 6 a.m. run clients, um, people in our Facebook group, people all over that have been tuning in to this very quickly growing podcast that we're doing. My name, as you guys know, is Hami, CEO, founder of 6 a.m. run. But, you know, we don't talk about us, a lot of 6 a.m. run products or anything here, but definitely want to thank again all of you guys in our community and everyone who continues to support, follow, and even encourage our new members. So just want to quickly, as always, say thank you guys for that. I'm very excited. I probably should have done this in the pre-call, but I'll go get right to our next guest who has a very, very serious, but also I believe a topic that's going to hit all of us, especially as we get older and we get this particular thing a lot more. Susanna, first, welcome. And second, I should have asked you how to pronounce your last name, but I will leave the full yes. introduction to you. Can you go ahead and, and introduce yourself? And with the intro, who you are and how you got to where you are, if you don't mind, just kind of give us a, sure. your byline, if you don't mind. Yes, for sure. So I'm Susanna Joutot. It's a French last name, even though I'm English, <laughs> but I'm a registered dietitian and a headache specialist. So I focus on migraine and headache conditions and how to overcome them with diet. So not only what to eat, but also when to eat it to break through to a headache-free life. And the reason why I got into this is due to my own personal experience where I had a 10-hour brain surgery to remove wow. a tumor. And what that led to was chronic daily headaches and episodic migraine. So it just led me down a path of, of seeking more than the typical uh, conventional medicine approach of where we're just kind of jumping through different medications. And I knew there had to be more than that. And I am now three years migraine-free. So wow. I've found some great solutions. <laughs> So no, let's kind of go right there and, and right into it. I know my wife tells me, you know, and, and I, I want to learn too, your thoughts. I know as I get older, I try not to, but I feel like Advil and pain pills, things like that, as I am learning about the industry and everything, my wife even says like, you know, the pain pill doesn't necessarily make the headache go away. It just mm -hmm. masks it. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. It's it's still a Band-Aid fix. There's a reason behind why you're getting a headache. And it's all about getting down to that root cause. And it's very different. If, if it's a headache here and there, then it, that's much easier to live with. But there's a huge portion of the population that deals with something every day. And then there's different pain scales to that as well. So if you find yourself always needing to pop some Advil or ibuprofen or even something more stronger, then that's really the time to really get down to what's going on there. Wow. So yeah, please, if you don't mind, break it down. I know like, it's funny, I'm 42 years old. I never ask a woman her age, but I will say I'm 42. And I will say, I know now um, at 42, it's funny. I can pinpoint a lot of the causes. Dehydration, of course, is one. Drinking, yeah, I'm not a drinker, but there's the rare occasion when I want to kind of celebrate with certain people or like, you know, you are in a group of friends and it, it calls, you know, the last time I probably drank was New Year's Eve, obviously, There you go. but I know yeah. the next day, it also depends too. It's crazy. It depends on the quality, right? Like when I was in college, I obviously got a lot of headaches and hangovers because okay. in college you drink, you drink the, the worst stuff ever. It's like, yeah, whatever you can get your hands on. Yeah. So I, I've learned like now I can afford a little bit of it. It's not as bad. It's like, look, spend a few more dollars, you know, 
and get a little bit of a better quality of an alcoholic mm-hmm. beverage when you do. And especially because I don't, I don't drink really ever. So I'm always like, okay. Cause I know if, if someone gives me, uh, I want you to kind of equate to this or, or relate to this. So there's, there's just times I know what headaches come from. And then there's just times when those two, two or three things don't happen. And I'm like, why do I not feel good? Or why do I, my, my head hurts. And yeah. it really, you know, I know a lot of people are telling me, don't take Advil, don't take Advil. But you know, as I'm sure your position, a lot of people, when they depend on you to function all day, mm-hmm. I hate to say that, but Advil, and I know I'm not right. I know maybe I'm taking years off my life by doing it, but I just, Advil is that quick fix that does help me. Can you help right. me understand what can I do? And let's get right into it. And I, I don't want to okay. talk too much. I'll take this over, but <laughs> tell me. And, and if you see, we, we only do recordings. But I want to learn here, and um, you probably see the eagerness in my face. Okay, yeah. So lots even there that you just said, because even the alcohol quality, as you mentioned, but it's the same idea with food, right? So the the better the food quality, the less likely that you're going to get headaches. But that's just wow. a very surface surface sure. letter for surface approach. So that is the first approach for everyone is just to clean up the eating and getting enough vegetables, enough fiber, all of that makes a huge difference on gut health. And the reason why we don't want to take a lot of medications or Advil and Tylenol is that it really does bother our gut health and it really does cause more problems in the long run. So it may be an immediate quick fix, but in the long run, that's just causing damage each time that you do it. And also every time that you take something like ibuprofen, then it increases the chance that you're going to get another headache within a few days after that. So Dependency yeah, on the it's, it's a dependency. It's also, it's just, it's not even just dependency because you can go months without taking something and then you take something and it just increases the likelihood that you get a headache in the next three days. So I'm not sure about the pathophysiology behind that, but they found that that seems to be the case, that it's, it just causes more headaches. And then you get in that vicious cycle that what is happening? Is it because you're taking something? Is it because of other things? And overall, I like to explain it as a headache trigger bucket. If you think of a bucket, then there's many different things that can fill up that bucket. So it can be weather, it can be dehydration, it can be your nutrition, it can be your gut health, it can be barometric pressure outside, it can be some people are affected by sunlight, it can be how much exercise you've done that day or haven't done when you're reliant, especially your community is reliant on exercise on a regular basis. So not doing exercise, that would add to your headache trigger bucket as well. So all these things, once it gets up to that full or close to full level, that's when a headache is triggered. And then the more like the more often that you end up at that pretty full bucket is the more often you're going to get a headache. Yeah. And now more things than ever, right? You probably also see screen time. I know there's a lot, for example, there's blue light glasses, staring at light. And we even have, mm-hmm. I feel like you're in my office right now, I feel like it's not the warmer light I grew up with. Right. Right. So I'm, I, I got to assume LEDs, things like that. Are you seeing because of, are you dealing with more of your patients and clients that as we come into the future, so to say, you can tell the electronics and the advancement we're making also increases people's just headaches and things like that. 
Absolutely. And there's a lot of evidence behind that because just being having that blue light exposure late at night, if we could cut that down two hours before bedtime, our sleep is much improved. And sleep is a is one of those things that fills up the bucket a huge amount. Sleep is really the foundation. If you're not getting enough sleep, then there's no way you're going to overcome headaches. So sleep is really that first thing and blue light is affecting that, but so is just social media in general and the mind stuff that comes with being on technology a lot of the time and not maybe communicating as much as, as we'd like. But then in the world that we do live in, it's also extremely hard to not be on anything technology for two hours before bed. I mean, I don't think anyone does that very well unless the only thing we can do at night is reading in that case. So the world that we live in is that we need to find other ways and we cut it down as much as we can, but then focusing on on other areas, nutrients and our gut health and, and fixing those things up gives us a bit more room in that headache bucket for something like technology to be there because it's going to be there regardless. The good thing I will say about, as you get older, about headaches when you're older, I think when you're younger, you just don't want to stop. But I think as you get older, the good thing about a a headache, especially if it is kind of coming on, unfortunately, if it happens in the morning, there's not much you can do if you have to go to work. But I think the good thing about a headache is you want to just close your eyes and rest sometimes. I think you know that that's what you want. And your body's even telling you like, look, just even if you're not meditating per se, but you want to just close your eyes and lay down. I think it's weird. I don't know if it's in a, because you're in a rest state, but I know for me a lot of times, and it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, a bed. It's like, if you're downstairs on your couch, right? Just take a second. Just some downtime. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really it's a signal to us that we do need to slow down because we are so go go go. And anyone who, especially elite athletes, are training a lot more, so any downtime is often training, and that's not the same as lying down and just like really letting that sympathetic nervous system go into calm. And mm-hmm. it's not the same as you know if we're doing exercise, where it's the opposite of doing deep breathing and, and meditation, even though they're both forms of stress release. So yeah, it's really important to have that that balance between getting that too. I, and no, and you're you, you know I don't want to. I hope I'm not sounding kind of like um, slower here, but you know I'm really learning a lot right now. So and then stress, anxiety, you're mm-hmm. hitting. I mean, my last podcast it was uh, it was more geared toward teenagers and and their struggles. But I was saying, as you get older, I don't think problems go away. They just kind of sometimes you have bigger problems, right? Or you're worried about other people. You're you're responsible for more people, things like that. Absolutely. So definitely stress and anxiety. And for sure, I'm sure all of that plays a part in, you know, again, your stress levels. Can we bring it back to fitness? I have a two-part question and I want you to take this away. One, how being physically fit obviously can help you, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit. We talked a little bit in the pre-call. And then two, are there situations when, while yes, physical fitness can help prevent fewer or or lessen a number of maybe potential headaches and issues, it seems like we're going to really discuss that. And then two part, but what are some of the days when you should probably say, as we just talked about, look, maybe skip running today, go lay down, don't put aggravated stress on your body. I think that's where, and I I don't want to talk too much. I I know I said I wouldn't, but you're bringing a lot of questions 
Because I think that's another thing. Runners, you know, on our Facebook group, you'll see runners post stories like, oh, toenail fell off. Who cares? I'm still running. Oh, I pulled my hamstring, whatever. I'm still running or jog, even if they can't run, run, but I'm still jogging today. So two part question one, using fitness to, you know, obviously lessen number of headaches you receive. And then two, what are some days when you just got to be like, all right, I'm taking the day off and resting? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, evidence is so strong in the importance of physical activity to counter headaches and to keep those under control. So the physical activity is extremely important, but sometimes the level of activity can be adjusted. So even if there's a day where, you know, the headaches are much worse that day and you can barely function at work, that's a good sign that, hey, your body needs a bit of rest and maybe go for a walk that day instead of a run and taking a little bit of time off once in a while for your body to just have some of that downtime to be able to to recover and give the brain some time to recover as well. And then just overall doing lots of physical activity is such a stress on the body that we do have to balance things out with other forms. And sometimes when we're in communities with lots of physical activity, I play hockey and many other sports as well used to do some running, but not so much anymore. So I know we can get really caught up and we need to do this amount every day. And when you're training for something in particular, especially is that you've got your schedule and building up your exercise. So being able to schedule in some downtime in in there is really important. Now, on top of that, just paying attention to the headache itself. So is it a headache that you get and then you go for a run and you feel much better? Or is it a headache that you have and you go for a run and it makes it much worse? In that second situation, getting it where it gets much worse, then that's more worrisome. And you want to pay attention to some other signals. So first of all, you want to think about your hydration. Have you been really well hydrated today? If not, then that's an obvious fix. And then the next step would be electrolytes. There's some evidence that just in general, we're in such a low salt community and world that we're still not getting enough salt, even for the elite athletes. So making sure that you're getting good quality electrolytes and not relying on sodium through food, but getting good quality sodium. And then potassium is extremely important. If you're increasing your sodium, you also need to increase your potassium. So potassium is through all different fruits and vegetables and getting enough fiber. And sometimes when we're training, we're focusing a little bit more on the protein of training and focusing on getting enough carbohydrates to refuel the glycogen, but really making sure that you're getting a lot more vegetables because when your calorie needs are increased, then those fiber needs are also increased. And that's often or not very often part of the conversation is that your needs for vegetables is no longer four a day. It's often six to 10 a day would be a better recommendation. One thing runners sometimes need, especially with this distance, one in your profile. And I remember two things in your profile that that I want to say stood out to me that I want you to kind of touch on. One is, you know, we talk about ketosis. Mm -hmm. You mentioned ketosis and it it possibly being beneficial. Can you touch on that? I know runners love especially distance runners. Keto is very rare to some of the elite runners because they need carbs, right? Yeah. But it's crazy. The more keto has gained popularity, a lot of runners even call us for our product, ask us like, are your products keto friendly? 
And we do make it friendly because, you know, you don't run a marathon every single day. I don't care who you are. So if you're doing just a one hour run, like for me, for example, I do do a fasted run every morning. And that was to my second part of the question here on fasting. I like to be as light on my feet as possible. So for me, I don't want to put anything in my stomach and I kind of want to burn everything off and sweat everything off from the day before. And it's kind of like almost like a cleanse of sorts. I don't know if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, Um, sure does. my 6 a.m. run, but let's, let's start with the keto. Okay. Is there some research you've done or some studies you've seen? And is that something you recommend? Are you a keto, you know, fan? And it's, it's okay. If I know there's probably two sides to the fence here, but I'd love to get your take on it. Yeah, absolutely. So I love this question because this is one of my passion areas. The ketogenic diet and ketosis in general is very effective for the brain for preventing headaches because we're using a different type of fuel. So rather than being 100% glucose reliant, when you can get into ketosis, then you can also use ketones as fuel for the brain. So especially if someone has severe headaches or migraine attacks, then there's a glucose dysregulation where the glucose just isn't getting into the brain the way it should. So to be able to use a different fuel is counters that uh, dysregulation and you get over the attacks much quicker. And for many people, they no longer get attacks at all if they're in ketosis on a regular basis. Now, what most people aren't aware of is that there's two... Well, there's even three. There's three main ways to get into ketosis. One is through the ketogenic diet of being very low carbohydrate. The other is through fasting. And Mm -hmm. you don't have to be low carbohydrate. And I actually find that works really well for athletes who are doing, uh, you know, who are eating carbohydrates and relying on that for the muscle glycogen, Mm -hmm. but to have periods where they're fasting and getting into ketosis during certain periods that can be really beneficial. And then the third way is to take uh, ketone supplements, and which is, of course, very expensive, but I'm sure some of your community has experimented with that as well. Now, my specialty is really on the fasting side of things. I don't follow a ketogenic diet, and I don't tend to follow the research too much behind it. I know it can be a very effective method, but for myself, I feel for gut health that it's important to have healthy grains and to have lots of fruits and vegetables in there. So to the second part of your question of, you know, going for a run in the morning when you're in a fasted state, that can be extremely beneficial because it actually gets, it uses up your liver glycogen and you're using your muscle glycogen because you're doing the run and that way you're getting into ketosis much faster. So exercise in itself is a way to get into ketosis. And so doing that on a regular basis can really help your your brain just be able to use these different fuels. And it's also just very important to allow yourself some gut rest. So you're allowing yourself gut rest overnight while you're sleeping, but your metabolism slows down quite a bit while you're sleeping. So you're still digesting the food into, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning. So it's really only once you've woken up that you're kind of done the digestion. So if you can prolong that fast a little bit, then that is best. And then also just stopping eating earlier in the night can also allow that for a longer fast because even a 12-hour time-restricted eating can make a real big difference. It's unlikely to get you into ketosis, but considering the exercise many people are doing, that can be that extra step where it's a 12-hour fast every day and then some fasted runs, the 6 a.m. run, doing that in a fasted state can be really beneficial. 
So I hate that sometimes I, I tend to make the podcast a little like personal on my journey um, or questions, but I think I, I hope a lot of people, because uh, I know a lot of us obviously work and then try to get so many things done, kids, families. So let me ask you this. What I like about fasting in general, and if we, if we can talk about that for one second, I like that with fasting, you know, if there's crap food somewhere, I can wait till I get home, right? Yeah. I'm not dependent on fast food or I don't need, like if we're an hour away from our home, I can make it an hour, right? I'm not one of, yes. I have friends that I joke with them. They're very annoying. Like if they're hungry, everything has to stop <laughs> and have to eat. And I joke with right. them. You get so hangry. <laughs> yeah. So, and don't get me wrong. And this is where I'm getting at. I, I can get hangry too with my, so, and, and here's what I'll say. So I go do my run in the morning. I don't really get a chance because I want to get that run in and I, I want to get to work and I want to start my day. I'm not a big breakfast person at all. I do my coffee, maybe like a biscuit or like something small, like a fiber bar or something like, you know what I mean? Like a kind bar. Um, okay. It's a very small breakfast, right? That's my breakfast, something with like a fiber in it, right? And then lunch, I don't like a big lunch because when I was working for corporate America, you and your, you know, your work, your workmates, your, your coworkers, we would go to these, you know, you get your one hour lunch break and you'd go on this big lunch. I would always feel like I came back and I was useless the rest of the afternoon. Right. You're so tired and lethargic right. after a big meal like that. Right. So then what I now see happening though, and I, this is, it is a 12 hour on, but now I get home and I'm so starving because it's been since the night before almost that, okay. uh, you know, my wife is cooking. Um, I start eating the chips and then I start snacking on this and then I eat the dinner and then I want dessert. And then mm -hmm. sometimes I go a little overboard. Is there yeah. something I should do, you know, that yeah, I got to still. And by the way, when I say I, I don't eat all day, it's not that I'm purposely doing that. You know, obviously, you know, running a company, being, you know, very busy. Everyone knows how much effort we put in a 6 a.m. run. I just sometimes forget to eat at work, seriously. Mm -hmm. So I know that was a long-winded question, but do you, can you maybe help me and touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is to take note on the days that you don't have something in the for the breakfast. So say that kind bar and see if it's actually improved because... <laughs> Based on your 6 a.m. run and depending on what time you stop eating the night before, you probably did reach ketosis. And when you are in ketosis, you're less likely to feel as hungry and you don't really need anything. Uh -huh. So sometimes we force ourselves, especially in the athlete community, because we're always told you need to eat every three to four hours, replenish your muscle glycogen. But they're finding that's not necessarily the case. You do want to make sure you replenish it. At some point during that day, and it is different when you're training and looking to mm -hmm. get results in a race, that would be different than if you're training every day. So on the days where you're training on a regular basis, but you're not looking for best results and stuff, then on those days, you can allow yourself to be in ketosis a little bit longer and wait until you do feel hungry to eat. And... In that case, it, it's also really important to plan ahead. So I would say still to have, like that breakfast didn't sound too interesting. It doesn't sound like you're thrilled about it or anything or that you even enjoy it. So I would probably push that off and have a, a more interesting lunch that you enjoy, yeah. but maybe not a super heavy lunch yeah. where you're feeling lethargic after and really just thinking like 
the planning ahead is very important if you're fasting is how are you breaking your fast? Because if you're breaking your fast with whatever you're gathering, which is actually what you're doing, it's not doing much for you. And it's actually making you feel more hungry. You're probably going to feel lethargic because it's not like it's filling you up or anything. It's actually just, it's sending your brain signals that you actually need more glucose. So when you get home, you're famished, you're picking at whatever you're gra- like whatever you can grab and oh. you can't, you almost can't wait till supper. I'm assuming, and I'm, I, w- I want, you know, your clarification on this and I'm assuming the snacks, you're either, either grabbing something very salty or something very sweet. So, mm-hmm. and those are two things that make you want more, right? So I think yes. salt there's studies, correct me if I'm wrong, there's studies that salt makes you want more salt, right? Sugar, sugar makes you want more sugar, right? So that's so of the snacks that I'm probably grabbing, 99% chances are they're not healthier. The snacks that have what I need to just snack on, right? Exactly. Like it might be different if you had, you know, some avocado or a handful of nuts or, but typically what we're grabbing has a whole bunch of sugar in it and sugar really feeds sugar. You want more, your gut microbiome asks for more, the more sugar you have, then the more of those types of bacteria are growing in your gut and they ask for more too. So it's, it's a cycle there. All right. Got that. So I've got to do my best self-control to just wait till my wife puts dinner on the table. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, ideally. <laughs> or or really kind of saying, okay, when I get home, this is the stuff I'm going to choose rather than kind of opening up the cupboard or the fridge and saying, oh, that looks good. Because that's when we reach for the the quick, the easy stuff and usually higher in sugar or higher in uh, refined carbohydrates. No, absolutely. No, those were two of my questions. I, this is, you know, please, I want to take a time out. I have asked my three or four main things. Was there, you know, knowing our community, again, a, a very active community at that and things you see on your clients, you know, are there just things that maybe I forgot to ask that you want to maybe just touch base on real quick and just, you know, people yeah. look for, or also we can also get into obviously how they can contact you. One thing, okay. you know, Suzanne, I want to make sure people can do is, is, you know, and we thank you for your time. So if we can have people who need and have questions answered, guys, we'll definitely be putting Susanna's information in the bio of the podcast, but no, Susanna, if you want to maybe take it away, something I didn't ask that you maybe see yeah, that this yeah. group so there's there's certainly a lot of research behind different nutrients, getting enough of them, of, of certain ones. So the top five for your audience to pay attention to would be CoQ10, vitamin B2, omega-3s, magnesium, and vitamin D. So those five nutrients have the best evidence behind them for preventing headaches. So everyone would want to pay attention to those. And that's where a dietitian can be really helpful because we get right into what you're eating and how much of each nutrient you're getting. But there's also a lot of functional nutrition tests to get to see if you are actually maximizing a lot of those nutrients, because it's one thing to get it through food or even to take it through a supplement. But if you have poor gut health and your gut health is thrown off, then you're not going to be absorbing those nutrients. Mm -hmm. And that's where anyone who's dealing with a headache on a regular basis really wants to look deeper as to what is going on here, because it's not the fact that you're doing exercise. It's really there, there's something more going on. There's just such a strong gut brain connection that we can almost always correct everything through the gut. And then from there, the next approach is usually addressing different food sensitivities. On top of that, 
Well, there's there's so many things I could, I could go into deeper on this, but yeah, yeah, put some more minutes. Yeah, if, you, if you'd like to, please go. For okay. It. Well, I wanted to say that often with with exercise that with intense exercise, glucose is released into our body and it's released into the bloodstream. So you actually get a big glucose spike during exercise, depending on the intensity of it. So if anyone's worn a continuous glucose monitor or anything like that, then you see that glucose spike when you're doing exercise. Now, after that, there's usually a low and that's where people, you either feel really hungry or if you're very glucose reliant, you need to eat and you feel hangry. So anyone who is interested in fasting or just an approach to get into ketosis more often would want to gradually build into that and not expect to see results right away because there is that glucose fluctuation, a quick drop after exercise that leads people to feel more hangry. So any fasting regimen has to be more gradual and that especially if someone is dealing with headaches on top of that, that you don't want to cause a headache because sometimes just that fasting period can cause a headache if we're very glucose reliant. So we want to we want to train our bodies to, to be able to use two different types of fuel. And that's where they see the benefits too in performance is when the body can use two different types of fuel. One thing when we start at 6 a.m. run, I actually have one last question. I can't believe I forgot this and uh, kind of coming toward the end here. So just being a kid of the 80s and 90s also myself, we do a green tea and we try natural. You need energy. And there is studies mm-hmm. that prove you know, good caffeine, you know, is not a bad, bad thing all the time. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is coffees and sodas and just some of the, I want to say not as organic items that are out there. Right. I know that there's sometimes a caffeine kind of withdrawal headache. Yeah. Can you talk about that and yes. what people can do to sometimes get that little jolt? And, and what I found is, is to really use caffeine when necessary and not so much maybe daily, right? Like I've cut like four to five cups of coffee to just one that I might milk oh, throughout the day as I'm doing right okay. now. And my our vitamin coffee, which is green tea, you know, that's my one cup a day. So I've, I've done a lot that, that then if I go a weekend without having coffee, I have no headaches. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong, but is that also no. what you You bring up a very valid point because caffeine headaches are a huge thing. So everyone should definitely pay attention to, hey, is this caffeine caused? Is it because I typically drink this amount and today I didn't? So that is certainly a big trigger. And also just your your mentioning of it needs to be a quality caffeine because caffeine through processed soda is going to make things worse. You've got all the sugars added into there and you've got all the other kind of chemicals. And there's a chemical load that our body can can deal with. And when we're adding a lot of processed foods, then that's just built and just our environment where we've got a large toxic load already to deal with that our liver has to process. So any way that we can make it a bit easier on the body will help. And then also caffeine, something to really pay attention to for the headache population or anyone who gets migraine attacks. Caffeine is a well-known trigger so decreasing caffeine content can, or even just doing it for a month to determine whether it's a trigger for you or not is important because people can react either to the coffee beans themselves, to caffeine or to tea leaves as well. So sometimes mm-hmm. someone is reactive to one of those 
And then even switching to tea instead of coffee can be more effective. Caffeine on the other side can be a really great tool for overcoming a headache as well. Yeah. And we did our, obviously as our company, we've done a lot of analytical research on that. And, and, you know, it's, I I don't want to knock them. There's a place for these guys for sure. You know, studying and slamming, you know, when I was in college, slamming, you know, eight Red Bulls to get through, you know, a a study session. You know what I mean? Like there was a time my body could do that. Right. Right. As we get older, we can't do that anymore. (laughs) Yeah. No, 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 not at all. Same with sleep. We can't pull all nighters anymore. We can't even, I mean, I had five hours of sleep a couple of nights ago and I am, I feel like I'm still suffering from doing that. It's like, we can't do it anymore. What's funny though about it is you look in the mirror and you think I'm not old, old yet. You know, you think of when you say the word old, I think you think of white hair and wrinkly, right? Yeah. But some of the first signs I think of aging are not being able to eat the foods you used to just be able to scarf down, right? Not being able to drink things you used to just drink without, you know, repercussions. That for me has been, as I've gotten older, like I curse a little bit, Susanna. So, but I'm like, kind of like my, my, oh shit moments are like, oh my God, like, okay. You know, you kind of, and it's crazy. This is what fascinates me about the body. You almost, if you really think about things, you know, like I said, we can talk about caffeine and headaches. I can say, oh my God, I've got a headache today. Well, wait a minute. I've gone three days with no coffee. Mm-hmm. Like it's funny how you can kind of like assess causes. And I love your word of root causes of things. If you really want to get down to it, you know, seeking professionals, by all means, do that. And there's a lot of great people. Susanna herself will give you her information. But I love that, you know, there's some self-assessment things you can do and then go to come to you for like, okay, now I know what it is. Now what's the, what can I substitute it with? Absolutely. The first step is always doing detective work. Even doing a three-day food journal can really reveal quite a bit in tracking your symptoms or doing a week and seeing what kind of foods you ate that day, what was your site, what was your patterns going on, what was your activity level, were you training more than usual, were you drinking more? So just a food journal can reveal so much. But definitely the first step is absolutely that detective work on your own before reaching out to someone because then you have a few points to say, listen, I've tried this. I've tried this. What is the next best step? Awesome. Awesome. Anything else? This was one of the most, you know, and it was very concise. And lastly, if you can tell people where they can find you, we, we will put mm-hmm. that in the bio for sure. But I'm really excited to publish this here in a couple of weeks, guys. Uh, we're, you know, as you know, we're a few weeks behind on what we publish. But no, Susanna, please, where they can find you, any last yeah. words of advice and in what situation or how maybe you accept clients or please go take that last. Take us home. Okay. So you can reach me at headachenutritionist.com and my email is there as well, but just info at headachenutritionist is great. But my perfect clients or the clients that I am best suited to help are those who have tried many things and are still getting chronic daily headaches or even episodic or chronic migraine. And regardless of the amount of exercise that you're doing, then that is a really great time to get down to the root cause and do a couple of functional nutrition tests to get into what is happening. And just never, never give up. 
And don't ever give up the exercise too, because sometimes we can get to that point where it's like, hey, I feel awful every day. Maybe it's the exercise and I need to stop that. So if you're at that point, there are solutions other than medications, because especially in the athlete world, we are also less inclined to take medications because, I mean, we're doing exercise to be healthy. So to add, you know, some band-aid fixes and stuff isn't normally what people are, are looking for. And to get down to the root cause is, uh, is definitely the way to go. So reach out to me yeah. anytime or any, if this stirs up any questions, you can just email me and I'm happy to answer those. No, this was perfect. And um, I, I'd love to talk to you here in a little bit after. And this was very informative. So I, I hope we can kind of get this. This podcast has been growing. That's good. But I definitely want to get this message even to our masses. We have so many on our email list and so many customers. And while the podcast is a new thing for us that is growing, Suzanne, I definitely want to definitely get your information out there Great. to more of our clients that we do have. So we'll talk about that here in a second. But no, thank you so much for your time. Um, we will publish her site, her email, everything in the bio, um, in the links. And I'm signing off. Susanna, last words or we were good? That's great. Just keep up the great work, everyone. And uh, keep up those 6 a.m. runs. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Any runs, as we just said, stay healthy, stay well. Stay and healthy. Kind of- yeah. Yeah. So guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you, everyone.